for such a warm welcome. <laughs> um, it's, it's always a pleasure and a privilege um, for me to be able to speak the word of God to the people of God. And um, I, I, in turn, want to take um, maybe a mo um, just a quick moment to acknowledge Bishop and Lady Carmen on the 24th pastoral anniversary. Um, there is a popular saying that goes this way. It says, um, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but it's a lifetime. It's a habit. And I want to acknowledge that and Bishop and Lady Carmen for their consistency in ministry, for the consistency of their character, and I really admire them. And me and my wife, we look up to them. And every time, even as we talk, we usually say, you know what? Um, to be in ministry for 20-some years, it's like being in a job for 20-some years and looking at everybody around you and feel like, oh, my God, I've been in this force 20-some years. And I really admire them. And um, I know that God has more for them. God bless you um, I'd like to thank um, Bishop for extending this invitation to me to speak to you today. And also I'd like to um, thank the leadership of the church um, and anyone else who was part of the decision making in that. And I also want to thank my wife for making it possible for me to be here. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to be here before if she didn't agree. Um, as much as I would want to, but um, this is this would be my priority. And um, and, and I also want to thank my children um, for not being sick. Otherwise, I would have been with <laughs> I would have been at the hospital with them. Um, and I also want to thank everyone here just for showing up. And even as I preach, um, we are on the same side. Um, even as I, I, I so happen to be the one standing up here, but I feel that there is a word for every one of us here today. And, um, and I encourage everyone to be attentive and be with me in it. Even as I speak, you know, just grasp onto every word that you feel that's, that's, that's reaching out to you. Because God certainly has something that will bless your heart today. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, okay, we don't have a lot of time, so um, we're going to go straight into 
um, the word of God. Um, if you would go with me in the book of Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read two passages. Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. And Exodus 6 verses 2 to 5. And I'll read for you the first passage, Exodus 3, verse 1 through 5. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 5. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I um, reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under Under its term, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners, You can be sure that I have heard um, the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Amen? Um, In the first passage, we see um, God showed to Moses a burning bush experience. He gave Moses a burning bush experience. But prior to the burning bush experience, more uh, more like 40 years before the burning bush experience, Moses fled Egypt. He fled Egypt because Moses saw an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew and Moses killed the Egyptian. And and, and, And Moses did all that because he thought in himself that, he thought in himself, uh, uh, um, Rather, he felt in himself that there was a call to free the people of, of, of Israel from Egyptian oppression. And as a result of that, Moses thought that by killing the Egyptian, he would have sent a message to the Hebrew community that there is someone looking out for us. There is somebody who, who, who's thinking about us. So, with that, Moses thought probably in himself that uh, the Hebrews were going to gather, rally together, and then decide how they're going to move forward. But then uh, the next day, Moses was running away from Egypt as a fugitive because the same Hebrew that he helped is the same Hebrew who sold them out to the Egyptians. 
Now, I mean, just, 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 just reading the passage, and I'm thinking to himself, Moses going back in the desert. Moses is walking back and forth saying, God, what happened? Probably he didn't know God at this point, but Moses was probably wondering, what happened? Did I um, act a little bit too fast? Did I think this through? Maybe I should have spent a little bit more time thinking about the strategy. Maybe I should have worked things out differently. What happened? All that was going on in Moses' mind. Because Moses saw that here I am. I was just trying to help a people. I was just trying to, 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 to set them free, maybe get them the same rights as the Egyptians, maybe um, get them to have citizenship in Egypt because Moses was very influential. Because Moses, although Moses was a Hebrew by birth, but he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses was actually living as a prince of Egypt. As a prince of Egypt. So Moses thought maybe, you know, if, if, I, if I had worked things out differently, Maybe things would have worked out. And in the back of the desert, Moses began to lose sight of, of, of that dream. Because all of a sudden, Moses began to think that, you know, the same people I'm trying to help, those same people actually turn against me. And Moses didn't just lose faith in, 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 um, in the very cause that he had. But also Moses began to lose faith in people. And the reason is because for 40 years, Moses was in the back of the desert. He had family. He had a, um, a mother, and Moses had a father. Moses had um, 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 a brother and a sister. Not once anyone came to, to, to find out what happened to Moses. He was in the back of the desert wondering what happened. 40 years, what happened? And it's under these circumstances that 40 years later, 40 years later, Moses was walking back and forth. And while he was tending uh, um, the sheep of his father-in-law, all of a sudden Moses looked up and Moses saw a bush burning. Now, Moses said, oh, let me come and take a closer look. Now, what got Moses' attention wasn't so much that the bush was burning. But the passage says that Moses saw that the bush was burning, but the bush was not consumed. It's like watching a tree on fire, but the leaves are intact. Because in the back of the desert around those times, temperature would rise up to about 130 degrees. And balls of hay would just catch on fire and bushes would just catch on fire. So that in itself was not so unusual. But what was unusual is because Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but the leaves were not consumed. In a way, when Moses was looking at the bush, in a way, Moses was looking at himself. Because the last time Moses was in Egypt, Moses was on fire. I mean, his passion, you know, to free the Egyptian, his strong desires actually to get the people free, all that consumed him and got him in the back of the desert. But Moses wasn't, but God wanted to show Moses something different. So God showed Moses a sight and God was saying to Moses, Moses, now this is you. 
This is where I am going with you. And God wants to say to Moses, Moses, when I become the fire upon you, when I become the fire in you, I will burn things inside of you. I will burn things in front of you. I will burn anything that sins in your way, but I will not consume you. Now listen, every time God wants to get your attention, God shows you something you've never seen before. And there are lots of people here today that God has been taking you through a, 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 a series of events, things that you do not understand. Have you ever found yourself acting out, just doing something because you thought you heard from God? You spoke something because you heard from God and all of a sudden it didn't produce what you expected. You moved on something that you felt was from God and yet nothing happened. And sometimes we fall into a state of desperation saying to ourselves, God, I give up. What happened? What happened? What happened? Now, if you fast forward to Exodus chapter 6, the second passage, um, God said to Moses, I appear to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as El Shaddai, say first dimension. First dimension. And God says, but, to you, but, but by my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. Say new dimension. New dimension. Now, when you ask yourself, what is El Shaddai? Because God says, I appear to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as El Shaddai, but by my name Yahweh, I was not known to them. Now, El Shaddai is not too difficult to understand because uh, uh, um, um, the, the, the first part of the word is El, which, which literally means God. Uh, but it's the second part, Shaddai, that, 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 that can actually have two uh, different definitions. Um, and for one definition, you can define Shaddai as, as uh, um, the overpowering God. The Shaddai part can, can mean overpowering, which literally means the God who overpowers every other gods or everything else. Or if you want to say that differently, oh, okay, the all-powerful God. Okay. And the second uh, definition of El Shaddai, um, El is still God, but Shaddai now, you can translate Shaddai as breast, literally breast. And by that, God is saying that uh, uh, um, by, by breast, it's, it's, um, the illustration is that God says that I am your breast, like the Lord, um, God my breast. But the understanding is that God now becomes your, um, God presents himself as a mother who's nursing a baby. It's like the, the, well, where the milk of the mother becomes all that the baby needs to survive. So, and that's where you, you now talk about the all-sufficient God. Like, God is all I need. God is the God who nurses me through every stage of life to get me to where I need to be. 
So that's, 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 that's the definition of, of uh, um, um, El Shaddai. And I feel that this definition makes more sense uh, um, with regard to the context of the passage. Because you see God taking Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although uh, um, God took them from where they came from and God made promises to them. God said, you know what? This is where I am going with you. This is what I want to do with you. And every time they want to lose hope, God reassures them God says you know what keep walking keep walking keep walking you know keep the faith alive and God keeps pouring into them not to cause the promise to come to pass but really to keep the promise alive really to keep the promise alive because El Shaddai doesn't get you to the promised land El Shaddai keeps you through the passage And I had a little talk with Bishop about certain things that the church actually went through. What you and I are living today, what you and I are seeing today, if you, if, if, if you go backward some 30 years or more, as Bishop was honoring some of the mothers of the church during the time when words were were going out that the church is cursed that this place is a cursed place where people were just living people were just living even some people had their their uh, um, um, uh, resignation letters ready to leave they just didn't pass those letters yet because the obvious thing was there the church looked cursed. And yet, they prayed unto God and God said, don't leave. Now, it's a very difficult thing when there is something you really want to do. There is something where the evidence is right there in front of you. And yet, God is telling you something else. And I can say that, you know what, for most of us here, We've been in, 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 in situations where you are walking around with a big promise. You're walking around with a big promise. God said, God said, God said, God said. God says he's going to do this. God said he's going to walk with me. God says he's going to put me this uh, um, in, in, in such and such position. God said he's going to do this and that with me. But all you're walking with is a big promise. Everyone is looking at you like, we don't, we don't see that in you. We don't see that around you. You don't look what you say. Have you ever tried to explain to someone um, um, what, uh, the, promises of, uh, the promises of God upon you? And the person is looking at you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at the moment, you don't look what you are saying. Your circumstances don't make sense with regard to what you're saying. Walking around with a big promise, with a big God, the idea of a big God, saying, my God can do this, my God can do that, my God has promised to lift me up, but people are looking at you, and you don't look anything like what you're saying. God is going to give me money, God is going to, 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 to give me a mention, but right now, you cannot even pay rent. 
and you're walking with a big promise. God says he's going to marry you, and God says he's going to do this, he's going to do that. But looking at your actual circumstances, they don't match what you're saying. Now think about the, um, the people of Israel, 400 years living as slaves to Egypt with a big God and a big promise that God would give them the land of Canaan. But every time the faith is, 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 is dying out, El Shaddai comes back and reassures them, don't die, don't die, don't let it die, don't let it die. Keep the faith alive. I am the God, I sustain you. I can do anything. Whatever I say, I can keep my promises. You, and, 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 and if you read the book of Genesis, you will see that every time Abraham is losing faith, God comes back and gives him something else. God come, come, comes back, either um, God appears to him and God says, Abraham, keep the faith alive. Walk before me. Walk before me. I can do what... See, Abraham died. He didn't see it. But he believed it for the next generation. And Isaac saw, heard what Abraham did. And Isaac kept the faith alive. And he passed it on to the next generation. He didn't see it. And then Jacob kept the faith alive, passed it on the next generation. He didn't see it. Until 400 years later. Now that's the definition of El Shaddai. That's the first generation. That's God manifesting himself to keep you alive. That's when everybody's talking about you. Everybody's, they don't know your thing with God. They don't know the time you spend um, on your knees before God. Nobody knows your little time, the, the time of confusion, where you are wrestling with yourself, where you are wrestling with what you hear, where you are wrestling, where even you begin to doubt yourself. You begin to doubt the things that God told you because it doesn't make sense at this point. Say with me, new generation. No new dimension instead. It's not by mistake. It's, it's, uh, I don't know why, but I'm sure it's not by mistake. Say new dimension. Then God showed up. And, God, and, and then God said to, to, to Moses, But to you, Moses, I am revealing myself as Yahweh. Now, if you were to ask me, um, what is Yahweh? Now, um, Yahweh is a four-letter word in Hebrew, um, read from, um, because that's how those ancient languages, including um, Hebrew are red, red from right to left. It's 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 pronounced Yud Hey Wah Hey, but basically Yahweh. Um, um, if you remove um, the 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 vowels, you will have H. You will have Y H W H. But red really uh, uh, um, um, it's supposed to be backward. The the, the Y is supposed to be. Um, on the right, but you know, that's how English is read. But um, in Hebrew, it will, this would read yud hey wah hey. And 
and, and this is also referred to as the tetragrammaton, and which is basically um, a term that is used for God. Okay, a term that is used for God. And, and God himself, when he introduced himself to Moses, he says that this is my personal name. This is my proper name. This is who I am. This is not um, um, a reference to me, but this is me. You see, um, has anyone seen um, The Wizard of Oz? Where um, you go to, 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 to the great wizard of Oz and someone saw a big head and another person saw uh, an angel and someone saw a fire. But those are different representation. Different representation. But God says, you know, I may, and, and that's why God says, I revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. But God says, but to you, I'm not just giving you a revelation of me. I am showing you me. I am showing you me. You are not looking at a revelation, an aspect of me, but you are looking at me. It's my very presence in front of you. It's my very presence in front of you. Now, what does that mean? Um, Yahweh actually forms the root meaning for the verb to be. And when you are saying Yahweh, you're actually saying I am. And, and, and um, in your English Bible, you'll probably see Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. You know, and, that's, that's, and every time you see that, it, it's, it, um, it really means Yahweh. So basically, it forms the root meaning for the verb to be. And uh, when you say Yahweh, you actually say I am. Now, what does that mean? Now, in Hebrew, the verb to, 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 to be is synonymous to the verb to do. Which means that um, you cannot be what you do not do. So basically, when God comes and God says, I am, you can actually translate that to say, I am what I do. So when God reveals himself as, as, as Yahweh, God says, I am not here to make you another promise. See, when God shows up as Yahweh, God says, my presence as Yahweh is not to support you, is not to help you to believe, but it is for me to come and do what I said I was going to do. It's for me to show up and let everybody know exactly who I am. Nobody will wonder whether or not I'm here because everyone will see me. You won't have to wonder, oh, was it God? Was it me or was it the devil? Because everybody, including the people who doubted you, including the people who doubted the God and you, everyone will see and everyone, and everybody will see and say, oh, this is the Lord's doing. Everybody will look and say that, oh, God is doing something in this place. Everybody will look at PT and everybody will say, oh, there once was a time we used to think that this place was cursed, but the glory of the Lord is in this place.
Now, so I just said that Yahweh represents the proper name of God. It's the proper name of God. It's like saying, Ibed Jack, that's me. You're not looking at a picture of me, you're looking at me. And second, Yahweh is the manifested presence of God, which means that it is a presence that can be seen and felt through manifestation. Through man and remember what I said before. I said that in Hebrew, to be is to do. So when God said to Moses, Moses, I am that I am, God is saying to Moses, Moses, listen, I revealed myself in, 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 in one way to your forefathers. But understand, I'm not going to define myself in one way to you. I am going to leave it open by what I do. You will decide who I am. You will realize who I am by what I do. I already made the promise. If I said I would do something, hey, listen, I will do it and you will glorify my name. I will step into your situation and change things around. I will step in. You see, God, see, at this point, once you reach that point, God is not asking you to believe him. God is just saying, you know what? You've believed me already. When everybody wanted to do things their own ways, but you stuck with me. You say, God, I believe you. I don't care what happens. I am sticking with you. Because, you see, the disciples, Jesus said, everybody left. How about you? And they said, Jesus, you are the word of life. Where are we going? Now, when I said that Yahweh is the manifested presence of God, I'm also talking about Jesus on earth. Because Jesus was the physical manifestation of God on earth. He was a physical manifestation of God on earth. So that's why Jesus was walking around. You didn't have to wonder whether this is Jesus or not because he was here. He was physical here. And Jesus said in John 17, he prayed and said, God, I give them. God says, Jesus says, I'm praying for, not just for the disciples, but also for the people who will believe, including you and I. Jesus said, I give them the same glory that you give me. And earlier in the passage, Jesus said that you gave me your glory and by this glory, everything submits to me. And that's exactly that glory that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. That we, um, when, 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 when we go to Romans 3.23, it says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when you lose the glory, you lose authority. So with the restoration of glory, you have restoration of authority. Where God says, you know what, I'm restoring my glory into you. So... Basically, the whole concept of, of, of Yahweh is that God is saying, you know what? The same way that Jesus walked on earth as me. Now, you have that same glory in you. 
in my plan is to cause you to walk the same way Jesus walked so that everywhere you go, you represent the full manifestation of the glory of God. Whether you are at home, whether you are at work, whether you are at church or on the street, God wants you to be the full manifestation of the glory of God. But understand that this glory is inside you as a seed. As a seed. The only thing that attracts the glory of God is worship. Now, and I know we don't have much time, so I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, Jesus, in John chapter 4, Um, but before John chapter 4, um, Solomon was inaugurating the temple. He offered an extravagant sacrifice unto God as a sign of worship. And after he did that, the glory of God descended upon the house. And no one could do anything because the glory of God occupied the entire house. And when we move to John chapter 4, we find that Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman and he said to the woman, there will come the time, and the time is right now, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then it says something that's quite interesting. It says that this is the type of worshiper that God is seeking. Now think about it. God is seeking a worshiper. Or if I were to say that differently, God is seeking someone to bring out his glory. God says, you know what? I'm looking for somebody because I really want to bring out my glory. I really want to bring out my glory. But I'm looking for somebody who will worship me in spirit and in truth. I know a lot of time when we think of grace, we think of no requirements at all. But God does have requirements when it comes to walking in his glory. God says, you have to worship me in spirit and in truth. Now, what does that mean? I guess that, that's, that's, that's the most important thing. So, worship. Before I go into worship in spirit and in truth, but worship, what is worship? Um, there are two words. There's one in Greek and one in, in Hebrew. The, the Hebrew word is shaha, and the Greek word is proskuneo. Both of them, um, the most common definition of them is to bow down. The idea of bowing down is basically if we stand, if I stand, if I stand with him, that means it's either he has his way. He, it's either he has the right of way or I do. Because we are now at the same level. I mean, he's, he's much taller. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing up here. So. <laughs> So, it's like, it's either he has his way, or I have my way. And you will see that in ancient time, every time a king meets another king, for one, for, 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 for one king to show that, you know what, I acknowledge you as higher than me, he has to go this way. As a, see, as a result, he gives the other king the right of way to say, I submit to you. I have weapons, but I cannot use, I will not use them against you. Because I acknowledge your superiority to me. 
So when the word says that, okay, to worship God, it means that you give God the right of way. You say, God, not my will, but yours. And just like uh, uh, um, John the Baptist said, you can you may be seated. And John the Baptist said, God, John the Baptist was talking about Jesus. He said that he must increase and I must decrease. So you are talking about worship when there is a, 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 you know, when you begin to decrease. When you begin to be emptied of yourself when God now begins to fill you. When you begin to go low and God begins to go higher in you. Now, when you say worship in spirit. And if you read in, in, in um, John chapter 3 verse 5 and, and 7. I mean, it shows clearly that um, there is one way for you to enter into the spirit realm is by being born again. So the first um, um, aspect of worshiping spirit is that you have to be born again. Otherwise, you cannot even worship God at all. You have to be born again. And second, the location of worship changes. The, the location, because worship had to be done in Jerusalem. But Jesus said to the woman that you will no longer worship in Jerusalem because now you become the temple. Say with me, I am a temple. I am a temple. I am a temple. Now, since you become the temple, now it makes sense to say that you have a courtyard you have a holy place. You have a most holy place. Your body represents the courtyard. That's what everybody sees. But understand, the presence of God or the Ark of the Covenant used to be in the most holy place. Meaning in your spirit. Now, in order for anyone to see what's happening in the most holy place, somebody has to penetrate into the most holy place and to bring it out. Because the priest had to go into the holy place and to offer sacrifice and then to offer something to God in order for the people on the outside to see it. Guess who's the priest now? You are the priest. Because you are the priest now, it is your responsibility to go into the holy place and tap into the glory of God and bring it out. Now, that's worship in spirit. That's worship in spirit. Because uh, now your body becomes the temple. Now, that's why when we all come here together, we submit ourselves to God. And we say, God, we are building a throne here. You're not trying to tap into your physical body. You're trying to tap into the spirit. Now, um, um, Number three, your worship has to come from your heart. That's why in Isaiah 29, 13, it says that these people honor me with the lips, but the hearts are far from me. So your worship cannot come just from you singing. You see, you may say the right things, but God knows what's in your heart. You may come here and say, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, I give you my heart. But God knows if that's true or not. 
God knows. So when the word says that when we all come together and God comes and sits and dwells in the midst of our worship, God knows exactly whether or not he finds himself. God knows whether or not when I say something, when I say, God, I give you my life, God is saying, you are lying. Now, that's part of worship um, God um, in spirit because it's not what people see, it's what God sees. It's not what you show to others, it's what God says about you. See, a lot of time we are concerned with how people will perceive us, but we are not concerned with what God is seeing in us. We are hiding for, from people, but we're not hiding from God. And a matter of fact, we can't even hide from God. Because in reality, if you really knew that God could see you everywhere you are, there are certain things you wouldn't do. It's actually because you don't really believe God to be who he says he is. Now, when you say worship in truth, first of all, you know that Jesus is the truth. Basically, Jesus is saying, you know what, walk as I walked. Do what I do. Just watch me. I mean, you have the word. You see how Jesus lived. Just live like Jesus. Just follow whatever Jesus says. If Jesus walked a certain way, at least try to do what Jesus did. See, a lot of time, we do our best to prove that we can do whatever we want to do. We even use grace to prove that we can do what we want to do. I was talking to someone and the person, you know, was trying everything to show me that, yeah, I mean, it's okay. You know, God doesn't mind me to do whatever I want to do so long that I come back, come, come at the end of the day and say, God, I'm sorry. It's fine. And I say, no, 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 no. It's, see, God sees in the spirit. It's like we won't accept it from people. Why do you think we should accept it from, God should accept it from us? Imagine I come to my wife and say, oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, it's like I, I know I did something very serious to her. And then I look at her and I start laughing and say, I'm sorry. It's like she knows that I, I don't really mean it. And a lot of time, what we do when we go to God and say, I'm sorry, we're just covering yesterday's sin. Because, you know, the thing is, and that happened to me. It's like I know that, uh, you know, um, tomorrow there is um, um, communion. And, and you know what, let me cover um, for tomorrow. But, I, I mean, because I know that, you know, I don't want something to happen to me, like lightning. You know, <laughs> so I want to cover communion so that I can take communion. But I haven't left the state of mind that caused me to be here in the first place. Now, worship in truth, worship in truth. As I said, worship expression must reflect where you are. And your worship expression, you know, it must, it, it must uh, at least it must reflect where you're striving to be. Why are you trying to be? Say, God, I know. I mean, be real to God. Say, God, I know the song says, I surrender all. God, have I really surrendered my will? You see, sometimes we think of Jesus as someone who came from, I mean, who, I mean, who came from heaven, you know, no blood in him. He's not a human. He's just God, all God, and no human part of um, in him. He just came and lived as God. No. 
No. Jesus experienced every single thing, every temptation that you are experiencing right now. He experienced all of it. The Bible says that. But he did not sin. He did not sin. He did not sin. So, in terms of worship, now think of Jesus. I am God. I have all the power to do everything that I want to do. Just like you and I. I can eat that if I want to. I can, I can look at everything on TV that I want to, turn to any channel, and then sit back and, um, and watch. I can do it. You see, now the difficulty of, 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 of worship is that, as I said, two kings standing face to face. You have the capacity to do. But you choose to submit to God. I can lust. I mean, lust is a matter of just processing things in your mind. I can lust. Every man, every woman here has the capacity to lust. You have the capacity to fall into any kind of sin you want to fall into. You have that capacity in you. But you choose despite your ability. Jesus was sweating and Jesus stays like this. He just said, Father, is it possible to remove this? Is it possible that I don't have to die? That I don't have to experience all the suffering? Because he's feeling the pressure of the suffering of death itself. And Jesus said, Father, I know that this will be painful. I know it's a lot. But not my will, but yours. Now, how many of us have gotten to the point where we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of God? For the sake of what God is trying to do. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. We all think something. We all want things. But what have you sacrificed? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for God? I'm about to close in a moment. When we read in Psalm Psalm 24. Psalm 24 says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and let the King of glory come in. What are you willing to lift up so that the glory of God can come in? Bishop and Lady Carmen, God has seen your consistency. God has seen the things that you had to endure. God has seen the things that you had to put up with. The thing, you see, the, 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 the times of, of uncertainty that you had to endure. And on this 24th anniversary of your pastoral ministries, I feel that the spirit of God was telling me that the glory of God is upon this house. The glory of God is upon this house. There is a new level of surrender that God is requiring of you. There is a new level of surrender 
Because there are things that God is going to cause to happen here. There are things that God is going to cause to happen here. You have to have that level of surrender to receive it. Had Jesus spit in the ground into the dirt, made a spittle and put it on people's eyes, today, most people would run out of the church saying that this is not of God. There are things that God will bring into this house. There are requirements that God will ask of you. There are things that God will begin to do. Be sure not to shut God out. Because God will bring things into this house that will not make sense to the human mind. God will cause things to happen in this place. God will cause people to walk into these doors and things will happen in their lives that they've never experienced before. But remember, God has called you to a life of worship or a life of consistent surrender. And that goes exactly for everyone here. You see, the glory of God may show up for my brother and you miss it. Because you are, because you see, the thing is, it has to be about your personal surrender. It will be about your personal surrender. God will, you see, God is looking for people. See, God is looking for people. Who agreed for God to guide them through the wilderness? For God to you see, for God to show them things that they have not yet experienced, but they kept the faith. They say, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I choose to believe you. In the burning bush experience is for you right now. The burning bush experience is for you right now. God is showing you what he's going to do. And God says that I am here right now. I show up in your life today as Yahweh. I am showing up in your life today as Yahweh. And I'm not sure who I am talking to right now, but I feel in my spirit that there are some people who need to experience God as Yahweh today. God is not talking about tomorrow, but God wants you to experience him as Yahweh today. He wants you to experience him as Yahweh today. He wants you to experience his glory in your life today. There are some promises that have been uh, um, 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 in the oven for way too long. There are things that God is ready to bring out. Everybody, please stand up with me. There's much more, but I'm, I'm going to cut um, the rest of it. Begin to bring yourself into a state of worship. Remember, you don't need anybody to bring you into worship. Before anything, look into your life. See, God is a good God. Even if you miss God for the past 15 years, 10 years or so, or whatever it is, 
however time it is, God is a good God. He's always ready to say, you know what? I know you've missed it. But now, since I am here, I am willing to take you on and go the distance with you. At this very moment, just go before God and say, God, I mean, with a sincere heart, I don't want you to cover, say, let me cover Saturday's sin. Let me cover this morning's sin. Let me cover this week. I want you to go into a, a moment of turnaround with God and say, God, I surrender to you. I bow before you. I give you the right of way. Not my will, but your will. Not how I feel, but how you feel. Not what I think, but what you think. Come on, this is your personal time with God. Just speak to God personally. Just speak to God personally. Speak to God. There are certain things that, that, that you, you may realize that have been going on in your life for way too long. You have the seed of glory in you, as I said. You have the seed of glory. And Bishop, as I, even as, I, as I'm standing here, I remember you preached last Sunday. I remember you preached last Sunday and you said that you begun to feel that certain things are not okay. Like, why is it that people are not getting healed? Why is it that people die and we just go like, okay, why is it that things are just happening and the spirit of God is telling me it's because you begin to feel the atmosphere of heaven. You begin to feel the atmosphere of heaven. It's because the glory of God is reeling into your life. It's because God is causing you to feel the atmosphere of heaven. Because the atmosphere of heaven, there is no sickness and disease in it. There is no sickness and disease in the atmosphere of heaven. As a result of God, as a, as a result of that, God begins to cause you to feel what he feels, to sense what he senses. He's beginning to merge with you. That's why he puts this un, 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 unrest in you, uneasiness in you, that certain things are not, certain things are no longer okay. They are no longer normal. And it's the same for everybody here right now. There are certain things that are no longer normal in, in, in your sight. You begin to feel that, God, this cannot be it. 